Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Today, I want to start with a question, and I'd love for you to actually yell out answers. So if you ever wanted to talk in church, now's your time, okay? Are you good? They're like, well, I never wanted that, so I'm not saying anything. Thank you. All the introverts just immediately like, and this is why I don't come to church. What do you care about? Come on, what do you care about? Go, what do you care about? Money, family, food. What else, what else? Sleep, dog, education, kids, grandkids. I care about the New York Giants. The problem, Bill, is that we sang a song this morning that said, I'll watch the Giants fall. Who's picking these songs? Like, let, I'll watch the Cowboys fall. I'll watch the Eagles fall. Like, we can change the words. Um, I care about the Giants. They play the Dolphins at one. Pray for me. Uh, pray for them. Um, I, there are things that we care about. I care about something new that I just started caring about a couple weeks ago, and it's golf. Yeah, come on, man. We've got the golf small group going Tuesday nights, still a few open spots. I started caring about golf. I never cared about golf before. And I was like, I want to learn how to play this game that seems to frustrate people and create friendships at the same time. And so I took a lesson and now I care. I didn't care before, but now I do. And I think the algorithm knows I care for some reason. I'm getting ads about things, but my, my Instagram's changing, YouTube, the suggestions, all of that. And here's why. We care about the things that matter to us. So I didn't care about golf before because it didn't matter to me. I didn't care uh, about certain shows until all of a sudden they mattered because a friend said, hey, look at this. There are things you care about uniquely because they matter to you. And that's beautiful. And what I want us to do together this morning is I want us to discover what matters to God. Because if we can discover what matters to God then we will start to care about that. Now, let me just say, this is not a call for you to let go of what you care about today. All the things we shouted out, you know, from food to our, our pets and family and friends and all of that, those things are gonna continue to matter to us and we will continue to care about them. But I believe that if we can discover as a collective what matters most to God, it will shape how we treat those other things. So let's go on a journey. And to do that, we are going to look at someone that I will call the grumpy, disobedient prophet. So if you're new to church, the Bible is a collection of books. There's 66 different books in the Bible broken up into two major parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The first part, the Old Testament, points us to Jesus until he comes. And the New Testament speaks of his coming and how we now live. In the last part of the first part, if that makes sense, the, the end of the first testament is the prophets. It's the books that you open up to. You'll see their names, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, just the prophets. These were people of God that God commissioned and said, go talk to others about me. That's what a prophet does. Go give them my word. And we come across the grumpy, disobedient prophet by the name of Jonah. 
And from his story, we will discover what matters to God, why it should matter to us, and how we might live different because of his story. So let's start at the beginning. We're gonna read a whole lot of Bible today. If you brought your Bible, open up to Jonah. If you didn't bring your Bible, look at the screen. And if you don't own a Bible, someone bought you one today. So make sure you pick one up by our welcome home area. I want you to have a Bible. Jonah chapter one, verse one, here we go. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. And here's the message. Get up and go. Would you say that with me? Get up and go. Sometimes God says something to us and it's a little unclear. Don't really know what you mean by that. Don't understand. Sometimes God says something to us and it makes perfect sense. Get up and go. There's no room for confusion. Get up and go. And then he tells them where? Go to the great city of Nineveh. All right, what am I gonna do? You will announce my judgment because the judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. So who are we talking about? What's his name? Say it out loud. What's his mission? Get up and easy. He's a prophet. He's called by God. So naturally we read in the next verse, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction (laughs) to get away from the Lord. My man, First of all, I think you should be the grumpy, disobedient, foolish prophet. Because where do you think you're gonna go to get away from the Lord? Come on. But he gets up and instead of going in the direction of Nineveh, he goes in the opposite direction. God says, go. And Jonah says, no, I won't go. And I believe the reason why Jonah struggled with going to Nineveh is because the people of Nineveh were the enemies of Israel. So Jonah's Jewish. Nineveh is the capital city of the Assyrian empire that has conquered the known world at this point. They have marched in. They have enslaved Israel. They are ruthless. Their practices are anti-God. They represent everything that Jonah does not stand for or like. God says, I want you to go and tell them about me. And Jonah says, I'm not going there. So we could say that the people of Nineveh in their relationship with God were called lost people. They were lost people. They did not not know him. They had not heard of him. They were not living for him. And God chooses a man of God to go and tell them about him. And he says, I will not. It would be, to put in perspective, as we see read that Jonah goes to Tarshish, It would be as if God calls you to go somewhere local and you get on a plane and travel to Los Angeles. Tarshish and Nineveh, 2,500 miles apart in the opposite direction. Jonah literally says, I will go to the farthest opposite region. This is unique. Jonah, son of Amittai. You know what his name means? The name Jonah means dove and Amittai means my faithfulness. So God has literally called dove, a representation of his spirit, son of my faithfulness, go tell them about me. And Jonah is anything but his name. And I wonder, are you living up to the name that God has given you? Are we living up to the name that God has given us as Blaze Church? 
Oh, it's one thing to say we blaze the way for people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. It's good to have that vision, but are we living up to our name? Jonah didn't. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. But God's grace is great. Someone say, thank you, God. His grace is great. He's relentless in his grace. And so Jonah gets on a boat to go to Tarshish and God intercepts the boat with a storm. And this storm is crazy. The sailors on the boat have no idea why this storm is taking place on these waters. They've never experienced a storm like this. They end up finding out the storm is a result of Jonah's disobedience. Jonah tells them, I'm a servant of God, the God, and I did not listen, and he sent a storm. To which Jonah then tells the sailors, lean into this, because this is interesting. He says, throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. And at first glance, we might think, wow, Jonah, what a stand-up guy. So noble, so sacrificial, putting others first. Way to go. But we actually realize Jonah is telling us who matters most to him in this moment. And do you know who it is? It's Jonah. He matters more than anyone else in that boat. He matters more than the people of Nineveh and he matters more than the commission of God. What he is saying, and he'll say it later in the story too, is I would rather die than go to Nineveh, but I will not take my own life. So you guys kill me. He is literally inviting them to murder to stop the storm. He is the unwilling servant who would be cast into the storm to bring peace for those around him. Now watch this. You and I today, do you know who we have? We have a willing servant king who stepped into the storm of sin on our behalf. His name is Jesus and said, I will willingly step into this storm so that people might have peace with God. He was, not re- he was not holding back. He was moving forward. He wasn't, I don't want to. He was, I'll do it for you. It's Jesus. It's the good news. It's who you have today. These sailors had a unwilling servant and yet he's thrown into the storm and the sea is calm and it's peaceful. And the sailors give praise to God because of it. People are saved because of that moment. Jonah is now sinking to his death and God in his grace provides a great fish. Swallows him up for three days. He spends inside this fish and God in his grace causes the fish to spit him on dry land. And then we read in Jonah 3.1, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. What do you think he's gonna say? Same thing he said the first time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. And how many know it only takes being eaten by a fish one time before you give God your yes? My prayer today is that none of us have to experience that. Give me your yes right away, first and best. So Jonah goes. Now, Jonah has everything he needs to preach the best sermon of his life. He has experienced a crazy storm that was calmed when God intervened. He has been inside a fish for three days. He has been graciously shown God's mercy by calling him to go a second time, even though he disobeyed the first time. He's got all the pieces in place to walk into Nineveh, be like, yo, I've got a sermon to preach. And do you know what he does? The grumpy servant 
gives them a five-word sermon. Five words. All that time. All of preparation he could have done. Five words. In the English, here's how it's translated. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He drops the mic and he walks out. A city that we are told takes three days just to walk around. He gets to it. I got a sermon. 40 days, you're going to die. Walks out. Which makes me wonder, why do I put so much time into my sermons? I feel like I should just do a five-word sermon one week. Because you know what the people do? They believe. The whole city believes the message that Jonah shares. The whole city repents. This pagan Assyrian king calls the people to prayer and fasting, throwing on sackcloth, trying to appeal to God, saying, maybe God will be gracious and not destroy us. They repent at the words of the grumpy prophet. 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, we read in verse 10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This is a miracle. Hey, I've got this vision that one day the city of Riverhead will repent and come to know Jesus. Do you believe that? Like I'm praying that, I'm holding on to that. That's what's happening here. A whole city is repenting and saying, we need God. We need him. So what do you expect Jonah to do? I mean, this guy should be ordering sheet cake from BJ's for days. Get me cake. Get all the best stuff. I want cheese and crackers. I want all of, we're going to celebrate. A whole city just repented. Lost people are saved. Those who were dying have found life. So we read in verse one of chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. But to Jonah, the repentance of the people and the grace of God seemed very wrong. I thought about what would cause Jonah to view this moment of forgiveness and grace and salvation as wrong. And I realized the reason why it seemed wrong to Jonah is because Jonah was wronged by the people. Do you remember who it is that is now putting their faith in his God? Enemies. People who have hurt him, maybe even his family directly. These are not stand-up citizens. These are people that are exactly the opposite of him. And now they're experiencing the grace of God. This week, I had the beautiful privilege to be at a place called The Retreat at Church Creek, Charleston. It's a place that Pastor Greg Surratt has set up for pastors and ministry leaders to just come and withdraw and be refreshed and recharge and connect with each other for a few days. And I sat around a table with 12 other pastors from around this country as we just shared about the hurts and the pains that we experience and what ministry's like and, and just, just life. And I listened and I saw genuine betrayal in people's hearts. 
And I thought, man, this affects everybody. You, you've been affected by this brokenness. You have had people promise and not come through. You've had someone say, I do, and they did not. You've had someone say, I'm with you, I've got your back. And the only reason they got your back is to know where to put the knife. You've had betrayal. You have experienced the injustice of racism and profiling and bigotry. You have been mocked. You have been forgotten. You have been abandoned. This, this is all of our stories in some capacity. We're gonna call that brokenness. I want you to imagine how it would feel if the person who caused that brokenness and pain in your life was suddenly experiencing the grace and the mercy of God. Where's the justice? When do they get theirs? What, what are you doing forgiven them? I just think that's part of what Jonah's processing right now. Like, I, I, this seems wrong because they don't deserve this. Come on, how, how do we reconcile that? Well, we are hurt and betrayed by others. And I wanna just offer you some hope today, specifically here. To be a follower of Christ means we put our faith in a God of justice who says, I'll take care of it so you don't have to. And oh, if you would understand that truth, the freedom and liberation that your soul would experience. Because bitterness is the poison we drink hoping the other person will die. And not letting go and chasing down and saying, yeah, but they, they, they deserve this and God, you should strike them and all of that. The hope of the believer is to say, God, I know you're a God of justice. I'm not even asking you to forgive them right now. I can't get there. If you need a good Psalm for this, read Psalm two. David goes, he, this is his prayer. I pray that you would break the teeth of my enemies. Come on, that's a good prayer sometimes. God, just give them a good right hook. Just break their teeth. But you know what he's even doing at that moment? He's throwing it God's way. He's saying, you're the God of justice. God commissioned and called Jonah to be an extension of his grace, not an extension of his judgment. Followers of Jesus, you and I are commissioned to be an extension of his grace, not an extension of his judgment. Nobody is argued to the cross. They're loved there. They're invited. We honor so may this verse offer you some comfort because I know you, listen, you're right. You were wronged. Justice must come. What would it look like to put it in the hands of God? Here's what Paul writes in Romans. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Oh, what freedom. I'm actually sensing right now, I just wanna pray. Would you bow your heads? God, I pray right now, there's people in this space, in this service that have such hurts and such pains that they're doing their best to make sure justice is followed through. And right now we just give it to you. We just open our hands before you and say, take away this vendetta that I'm holding on to, this revenge attitude, it's eating me up. God, I wanna love freely. I wanna honor every person and I wanna trust that you do have a plan to make all the sad things come untrue. Amen. So for Jonah, he's not happy. They should have died and now they're forgiven. So Jonah, like we read, is angry and upset. I wanna read the entire chapter because it's just a beautiful story that we need to see. God does something miraculous. I think he could do it with us. Here's what we read, Jonah 4, 2. He prayed to the Lord, 
Look at his prayer. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, look at the character that he calls out. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. The irony of this prayer, God, you're too good. I knew you were too good. You just abound in love. Why? Stop it. I knew you're gracious. All the things that Jonah needed in his life. Ah, uh, bro, did you forget why you're even able to call on him? His grace, his love, his slow to being angry. Like he could have sent a shark. He sent a fish, dude. <laughs> you're, you've been benefiting from the character of God and now you're throwing it in his face because you don't like that he's, he's shown it to a Democrat. A Republican experienced his grace. I don't like that. Now, Lord, take away my life for it's better for me to die than to live. If you're gonna show that grace to my enemies, I don't wanna be here. I don't, I don't wanna live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? I'm gonna keep reading, but I just want you to see, isn't the Bible amazing? Like, come on, read your Bible. Like, it's boring. Read your Bible. This ain't boring. Read, read his word. Let it stir your heart. So they're having this conversation. And then it says this, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city and he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade. And look at this. And he waited to see what would happen to the city. He's still hoping for a firework show. He's like, maybe God got it wrong. Maybe they got it wrong. I'm just gonna chill out here and maybe we'll just see what happens. Let me just, this is important. Then the Lord, don't forget who it was. The Lord, God provided, Jireh. That's the, the Lord who provides. Jireh, he provides a leafy plant and he made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. It's a good day, it's a good plant. I like this plant. But at dawn the next day, isn't this life? Man, I had a great time. Then the next day, God provided, God provided, yep. Jireh showed up again, don't forget that. God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. It says in verse eight, when the sun rose, God provided, really God, yep, God's at work again in this person's life. God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head. The plant's gone. There ain't no shade now. My guy is sweating. The sun is beating down. Scorching east wind. He grew faint and he wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. I had a plant. The plant's gone. His worm showed up. Now there's this scorching east wind. Man, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. I'm so angry. I wish I were dead. And now watch how the story ends because this is all we got and the scroll rolls up. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the book closes. Jonah does not respond. We don't know his response. God gets the last word. What we see at the end of this story is Jonah crying about a plant. And God says, you cry about the plant. I'm crying about a city full of lost people. Shouldn't I be upset over that? So I wanna ask you this morning, what plant are you crying about? What's the plant that you cry about? So I've got some plants here. Are we bringing it back like it's 1994 in the church? Except it's not fake plants on the stage. These are real. <laughs> we got some plants up here. These are good plants. All of us in our lives have plants. So I want to talk about a few of them. These are good plants. We'll call this plant the relationship plant. It's a pepper plant. It's spicy. Got some spicy relationships going on. Your marriage, your dating, your parenting, your friendship. You, you, you have one of these plants. You have a relationship plant. So do I. All of us, although it may not be as big as you want, we have a money tree, don't we? <laughs> We got a money tree. You got some money that you're playing with. You're, wor you're, you're worried. You're thinking about retirement and investments and savings and paying off debt and inflation and all of that. We got a money plant. And then we have this one. This is our identity plant. This is what do people think of me? This is when I walk in the room, do they notice me? Do they care about me? This really kind of sums up our lives. What do people think I am? What do they think I have? And who am I doing it with? Who am I? What do I have? Who am I doing life with? And I gotta tell you, I have all of these plants in my life. I love these plants. These plants are plants I care about. I take care of my marriage, water that, invest in that, take care of my finances, don't spend beyond my means, put some away, live generously, take care of who I am, rest in my identity. Well, you have these plants. These plants aren't bad. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shock you. You've never thought of this before. All of these plants will wither and die. God bless you. Have a good day. My marriage is gonna to come to an end through death till death do us part. At some point I'm dying or she's dying. My kids, me, sit. Money will run out. It'll run out. You, you can take care of it all you want. You can think you've got a financial security blanket. Man, I think could be gone like this. Your purpose and who you think you are, it shifts all the time. I thought I had it figured out. Now I'm not too sure. Who am I? What am I doing? These things matter. They're great. But watch this, when you live for one of these, not only will they wither and die, you will wither and die. You will die in the process of trying to keep this plant alive. You will, you will kill, you've seen people do this. They have chased the American dream and they've given up all these other plants in the process. They all died. This one looks like it survived, but it'll die. These are great plants. They just can't be the plant that you live for. These are not things that matter most to God. God has a heartbeat and he has told us what it is. We don't have to guess at it. We know what matters most to God. And it is lost people, hands down. Anytime Jesus was given an opportunity with an, a this or that, an either or of those that knew him or those that didn't, he always chose those that didn't every single time. 
His mission, he said, when they said, why did you come? He told them plainly, oh, do you wanna know? I came to seek and save, what does it say? The lost. He did not set up a collective of people as he ascended into heaven and said, okay, now that you guys are saved, there's 120 of you, man, have the best fellowship ever between the 120 of you. Build a nice church, hang out with each other, form some communities, just, just enjoy it. He said, get up and go to lost people. The father's heart is for the lost. Read Luke 15 this week. He says, if there's 10 coins and one of them's lost, the person goes crazy over the lost one. If there's a hundred sheep and one of them's lost, the shepherd goes crazy over the lost one. The father is concerned with lost people. And when you and I make this the plant that matters most to us, do you know what happens to these plants? Oh, they get, they get their proper place and they become more beautiful because suddenly my relationships are held in his hands and I can say, God, may you use my relationships to help lost people know you. May I be a good steward with every friendship that I have. God, every dollar that's in my hand, it came from you. And if I can see an eternal return on investment, an EROI, to see lost people come to know you, may they may just rest under that vision. God, I know my identity and my purpose. You've called me to live for you, to love others, and to help lost people come to know you. And so I'm gonna rest under that. Are you getting that? You can't live for these. Our mission as a church and your calling as a follower of Christ is lost people. When Jesus was challenged on this, why are you spending so much time with sinners and those that don't know you? Do you know what he said? Luke 5, 31. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus goes, I came here for lost people. Today, as you're hearing that phrase, you might be asking, what exactly do you mean by lost people? Well, I'll tell you, I once was lost and now I'm found. It means I once was living for all of this, thinking this would give me life and purpose. And God says, you were created to be in relationship with me, but your sin has separated you from me. And I sent my son Jesus to this world to seek and save you so that we might have a restored relationship. Your sin's forgiven and you are made new. That's why at Blaze Church, we talk every week about lost people. And you might be here today saying, you know what? That sounds a lot like me. Can I tell you? We've been waiting for you and praying for you. <laughs> and you are so welcomed in this space. And the father is saying today, why would you come in lost and leave lost when you can leave found? So right now, if you wanna know who Jesus is, you're saying, I wanna know him. I don't wanna be lost anymore. We're about to pray as a church. Because scripture tells us if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. It's a guarantee. You and I can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is his grace that was extended to Jonah and Nineveh and it's for you today. And so we're gonna pray. Would you bow your heads with me? And church, would you pray with me? And if you wanna know him, you're saying, I want to be saved today. As we pray, I'll invite you to raise your hand in this moment. It is a sign to God to saying, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm calling on your name. Church, would you say this with me? Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Today, I surrender. My whole life is yours my relationships, my finances, my identity, it's all yours. Thank you for forgiveness. 
My sins are washed away and I am made new. In Jesus' name, amen. Blaze Church, let's celebrate with heaven right now. That's rejoicing, rejoicing that you just put your faith in him. Before you head out that door, stop by the blue table back there. We wanna give you a Bible and a resource. Church family, Blaze Church, landmark vision. We will be a church that puts the priority on those that don't know him. We are not building a church for ourselves. We're building it for lost people. We're saying we want there to be a place where they can come to know him. We are God's plan A. And there is no plan B. And by we, I mean the church collective around the world. When Jesus ascended into heaven and said, I am going and yet I'm with you always, he commissioned the church, which we are, to be his hands and feet in the community. Like, like that's, that's just what it is. So if we don't go, who will? We get to do this. We're called to do this. Go make disciples. I read this, Jonah is a way of exploring Israel's failure to be a kingdom of priests among the nations. Their failure to truly be a mouthpiece of God's character. That's the story of Jonah. It is showing us what it looks like when we fail to help lost people know God. And can I just tell you, Blaze Church, Jonah will not be our story. Can I get a good amen right there? It won't be our story. We will not fail Riverhead. We will not fail Southampton. We won't fail the Forks. We won't fail Long Island. We will not fail. We will be the mouthpiece of God in this community. We will resource and strengthen other local churches. We will collaborate. We will partner together. And we will see his kingdom come and his will be done here. It is our mission. So as you seek God over this next week, we're in week two of the spiritual journey. Make sure you get a blue bag. This focus is on seeking. It's on putting him first. Every day, pray. Here's a verse, Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know what that means? You seek God first, you put him first, all these other plans, he's got it. He's got it, you don't gotta worry about that. You put the emphasis on God every time I step out this door, who needs to know you? Every time I, I'm, I'm, I'm got my money, who needs to know you? In my relationships, am I showing you to the people around me? He's got this as we seek him first. Would you stand up with me, church? I wanna pray for you. Our team is gonna sing as we exit this space. Hey, before you go left, go right. Head over, get some cupcakes, some muffins. We got a little family tree. We wanna see everybody's thumbprint on it. Even if you're visiting today, get in the family tree, get some good cider, hang out a little bit and celebrate what God's done here in eight years. Right now, I wanna pray. So would you bow your heads? Father, thank you this morning that you soften our heart. Thank you that we are saying yes to the mission you're calling us on, to go and make disciples. We will be a church that puts the emphasis on lost people. Use every dollar in our hand, every relationship you've brought to us. Use our identity, our purpose, so that those who are far from you might come to know you, that people might be made new. We thank you for this. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Let's celebrate Jesus one more time. He's worthy of our praise.